Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. This is technically going to be our last week of the Theology of Us. Um, I know that there's more subject matter that we're going to cover in weeks to come. They're just going to be, um, uh, they're going to be uh, the director's cuts. Is that all right? Um, the additional footage. Uh, in in the weeks to come. We'll hit on some other topics that are important, but technically we're going to end this this, uh, sermon series. I think this is the longest sermon series I've ever done. Seven parts. Um, Have you guys ever like been in one of those arguments with your spouse where it goes so long that like all of a sudden you're like talking details are just completely unnecessary. You're four hours deep and you're like, when I was five years old, my father came late to work one day and I guess ever been there? Like unnecessary details. You're four hours deep and you're like, I'm not ending this conversation, but we're going to find new things that are related to it. That's where we're at in this sermon series. We are, we are deep in this sermon series and we're getting into some nitty gritty stuff. And, um, and uh, last week, I, I opened the door to um, God's hatred of division and um, the call for the urgent plea to unity. And we know that through this series, we, we are praying and believing that our house would be a house that's not easily shaken, um, that our unity would be a supernatural covenantal people that are carriers of the presence of the Lord. And... Um, that uh, we would learn the, the skills necessary to really foster an interdependent, um, supernatural family in this house. Um, and uh, last week, I, I laid out the, the, the seeds of division is, fruit, uh, is, is offense and unforgiveness. And I want to kind of go a little bit further with that today, um, as we didn't have a lot of time last week. We don't have a lot of time this week. Um, but here's what I, I, I'm going to unashamedly qualify what I'm about to preach on. Is that okay? I, I know it's sometimes we're like, you don't have to qualify yourself. I'm going to qualify what I'm about to preach. Is that okay? Um, and, and the reason being is, is because, you know, when you get into hard, when you get into hard messages and you get into hard subject matters, I don't, I don't think maybe people uh, uh, under like overestimate how courageous it is for a pastor to to kind of talk about some hard material. Um, and, and it takes a lot of courage to teach us subjects that are just really applicable at all seasons of life. Um, and, and it, you know, and one of the, the things is over 18 years of ministry, I'm on multiple global boards. I work with leaders every week from around the world. This week, I literally spent 36 hours in Montana with Sean Foyt. Um, you know, when we're working through some of the global initiatives of Sean's uh, ministry, as I'm one of his uh, board members, we're talking about leaders from the UK, from India. We're talking about nonprofit organizations that's now feeding 2,500 kids in India. We are talking about, um, you know, I mean, he's got other ministries that bring drama, and we got drama everywhere. And and as a leader, you know, we're navig- we navigate a lot of things. And uh, over 18 years of ministry, I've seen a lot, um, I've experienced a lot, I've learned a lot, and over the course of time, my desire and my longing is that over 18 years of ministry in the word and in experience, 
that I would be able to equip the church to navigate the incredibly dynamic and difficult life of serving and expanding the kingdom. Is that all right? Um, and, uh, and so sometimes we'll preach things and people are like, is he preaching about this or that or about me? And I want you guys to know, um, I, I will craft messages for six to eight months at a time. The material I'm going to get into today was, was written in February and March of this year. Shared it with my staff. They've seen these notes. I don't, I don't want to go into a valley and preach at mountaintops. I want to go to mountaintops and preach to the valley. Is that all right? Um, and then sometimes these messages are just incredibly applicable. But my desire is that they would not just be about our church, but they would be tools for you in your marriage and in your family uh, and in your relationships and whatever church that you might be a part of in the future, that I would be able to give you something out of 18 years of wisdom in ministry and navigating world with leaders around the world, that I would give you something today that equips you. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Qualifying done. Um, so last week, we discussed the seeds of division, unforgiveness, and offense. Unforgiveness is unresolved hurt and pain. It is an unhealed wound that festers with bitterness and anger. But forgiveness is a response to an is not a response to an apology, but an internal releasing of our heart uh, in our heart of all debt that is owed to us. Forgiveness is not a response to somebody else doing the right thing. Forgiveness is a decision that we make to exemplify what has been forgiven of us. I mean, as no, Jesus forgave you on the cross and he's called us to lay our lives down for each other in the same manner he laid his life down for us. Forgiveness does not come after the apology. It's actually a heart condition that's done inside of me that releases you of all debt that was accrued through your hurt and pain towards me. Does that make sense? Offense is a trap set by the enemy. It's an emotional response to a perceived wrongdoing. An offense is the ploy of the enemy to pervert an opportunity for transformation into an emotional wound. Uh, well, we're all people, we're all humans, we're gonna do life together. And uh, I, I have a feeling that there might be some landmines. You know, I remember um, when I was in Israel, I was with a, a bunch of, a bunch of Christians and they had flags and they had, they had their shofars and we we're on this bus, this like boiling hot bus driving through Israel and we're driving through and we're coming from like this valley and that valley and this is where David slayed Goliath and this is where Jesus went off with the Lord and you know, this is where he multiplied fishes and loaves and everyone is like, ah, I gotta blow my shofar there, you know? And, and uh, I remember we went to this valley and, and, um, and one of this guy had, had like this flag and he had his, his, his shofar and he just gets off that bus. He's like, I've been waiting all week for this one. And he's running to blow that shofar, right? Right, Doug? You have no idea. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Doug does tours in Israel. Um, and all of a sudden, the, 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 uh, the guy running the bus goes, no, 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 stop. And he, and he looks and he points to a sign that's like that field is full of landmines from previous wars. And uh, it's a few of those places, right? And uh, I was thinking about that this week, thinking about how many times we're so excited to run into each other's lives, but sometimes we don't know that there's been previous wars in your life and I'm about to run into a landmine. You guys get what I'm saying? 
And there's so much promise and there's so many good things to run into. But sometimes relationally, there's some caution signs saying there's triggers, there's hurt, there's pain. If you do the wrong thing, you're going to step on a landmine and we're, gonna, we're both going to blow up here. And so sometimes relationships, when we're running in together, sometimes we don't know what we're running into. Because we don't know what we're running into, there can be relational hurt and pain that creates offense. But here's the beautiful thing is an offense is just a perverted opportunity. God is actually bringing a caution and a warning to your heart or causing things to be exposed inside of you through the life of somebody else for you to bring yourself to the altar and to become delivered and healed so that that valley can be explored by anybody again. That makes sense? And so, um, but an offense comes up where we barrier off and we actually protect and we guard and we wall up saying, do not trespass into my life and we build relational distance. It's a perverted opportunity. When things are getting, you know, stirred up relationally, we could actually bring it to the altar or we could wall up and defend. When we allow unforgiveness and offense to grow in the soil of our heart and our imagination, I mean, you know, our imagination is, whew, it's a wild one. And when unforgiveness and offense is becoming to the leading voice narrating our imagination, we will bear the fruits of offense, which are accusation, slander, and gossip, which create broken relationships in our life. How many of you know God has a plan for us relationally? His plan for us is this. We were created for supernatural in, interdependent community. We were, we were created to derive strength from each other. We were created to actually find joy and pleasure in each other. Did you know that you were created to experience joy in our relationship? Did you know that when I smile at you, God wired your life to actually experience joy when you see my face. Scientific. Some of you don't, you just feel fear or something. God wants to redeem that. Oh crap, Mr. Pastor. How, how many of you guys know God has wired us to actually need a joy-filled community that we would thrive and grow in the likeness of Jesus in? Your faith is dependent on it. God's plan for us is that we've been called to strive for unity and eagerly keep the bond of peace. He says, strive for it. Eagerly pursue the bond of peace with each other. How many of us know that requires discipline, intentionality, that we actually fight for our hearts, that it actually take a little bit of work? I think a lot of times as Christi you know, Christians, it's like, we're going through the drive-through, the fast food every single day and wondering like, why aren't we losing that spiritual baggage that we've been carrying around? We're putting no work in. We're not actually disciplining our minds and disciplining the appetite of our imagination. And so we're just feasting on whatever we emotionally want, whatever we emotionally need, whatever we emotionally feel. And we're just attaching ourselves to all kinds of stuff and wondering, why am I carrying baggage and why is there a trail of dead bodies in my life? And we're wondering why, but we're not putting in any work. How many of us know Relational unity requires intentionality and discipline. And he calls us to strive for it. Number three, we're warned to use our words for blessing. James 3, we got pulling a, a, a little bit of our James series. Remember, how can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? 
Your tongue is a powerful rudder that will turn the whole ship. Your words are so incredibly powerful because of the spirit that lives inside of you. And we can either use our words to direct someone towards the Father or we could actually use our words to break down, discourage, and to destroy the, uh, their, their commitment to the call of God in their life. Your words are powerful. We're warned to use our words carefully. Husbands, how many of you know to use your words carefully? Can we bring the same intentionality into all relationships? Number four, we're instructed to know each other by the Spirit, what Tim brought up a couple weeks ago, that we would actually, at times, I'd have to tap into a prophetic spirit for us to have relationship because there's a lot going on that's visible to my eyes and it's hard for me to see past, but I gotta tap into a prophetic spirit to see beyond what my eyes see and to see you by the Spirit. You know, I think I heard this quote and it was, it was a quote of John Wesley where he said, it was easier to love well when we knew less. I mean, so social media has made it incredibly hard to love each other well because there's parts of your life I never wanted to see that. And I'm trying real hard to love you through what I've seen. There, there's opinions you have that you would have kept to yourself, but somebody gave you a smartphone. And I'm working real hard to figure out how to coexist with some of your opinions. You know, you guys remember when the Popeyes and Chick-fil-A argument came out? I had to work through some forgiveness in my heart during that season. People were loving Popeyes more than Chick-fil-A. Oh, there's some groans, see? Football season's coming around and we're gonna have to strive to keep the unity of the faith, you know? But we're instructed to know each other by the Spirit, to be a prophetic community. And the goal of all of this, God's plan for us, is to empower the church to reveal his glory to the world, that we would actually host the presence of God and reveal his glory. But how many of you know the enemy has a counterfeit strategy? And his counterfeit strategy is he wants us so alive that we do not need each other and that we're better off without community and leadership in our life. He wants us so alive that you can stand alone, it'll be okay. That you don't need leadership, what it carries in your life. That you don't need fathers and mothers because of the, you, you got the Holy Spirit, it's all you need. I mean, that sounds beautiful, but it's actually contradictory to the word of God. Louis says, don't let the hand say to the foot, I don't need you. There, there's actually like a call for us to confess our need and there's a lie that calls us to like an independent spirit. The enemy wants to create enough scenarios in our life of hurt and pain to validate breaking connection and warp perceptions. How many of you guys know if there's people in the room, hurt and pain will be inevitable. The fallibility of man will lead to hurt and pain. It's not, it's not powerful to break connection and distance yourself. It's powerful to enter into a scenario that's painful and pursue healing and reconciliation. He wants to create enough scenarios that create hurt and pain. Number three, the enemy will invite us to partner with a divisive strategy and use our words to destroy. And lastly, he wants to create community around common offense not common vision. How many times do we 
rally ourselves around people. Even we can all be in the same church, but we create relational connectivity to the people that voted like us, that hate what we hate, that disagree about the same things. And we can actually create relationship around what we're against, not what we're fighting for. Uh, Bill Johnson always says, says, unity without diversity is just conformity. There's something about actually being in the throes of disagreement intentions where God actually wants to refine you in a community that you actually don't fully agree with. But the enemy wants to build community around offense. And the goal is this, to disempower the believers from revealing the glory of the Father. I mean, no, we want, we want God's plan, not the enemy's counterfeit strategy. Amen? <clears throat> and if we're going to walk in, are we guys doing all right? If we're going to walk in the, in the fear of the Lord, we're going to strive for the unity of the brethren. When we deny that hard work that it takes to do it and forfeit the vision of unity, we allow the seeds of offense and unforgiveness to grow. And all of a sudden, the enemy wants to pervert our calling. We're called to bless. Instead, we curse. We're called to build up. Instead, we break down. We're called to cover. Instead, we gossip. We're called to prophesy, but instead, we accuse. We're called to encourage. Instead, we discourage. And all of a sudden, the enemy wants to come and begin to pervert our calling. He wants to begin to pervert the very gift of God that's on our life. And this is why, like, deception comes in. Because when it's rooted out of offense, deception is close behind why? Because it takes things that are holy and it are things that are unholy and it starts calling things holy. You know, I could have an offense with you and I start processing it with, with, uh, with, with Tim behind your back and I, and I can call it discernment and processing, but it's actually just gossip and I'm tearing you down in his own imagination. He didn't carry pain towards you I carried pain towards you, but I transferred an offense when I began to process with him for holy processing. How many of you guys see the deception that can begin to come in when offense and unforgiveness begins to weave a, 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 a bond around my imagination, around my heart? Is all right? And so let, let's talk about how this thing grows. This is, but we're gonna, I'm gonna take us way down, all right? We're gonna go way down and I'm gonna bring us way up. Is that all right? Give me 10 minutes to do this. If you're, if you're struggling with what I'm about to say, then just hang tight. When offense and unforgiveness are given place, we create relational proximity. You never harbor offense without beginning to slowly beginning to distance yourself from other people. How many of you guys know nothing goes well in a relationship when offense is driving relational proximity? Relational proximity makes room for relational delusions. Offense and unforgiveness usually begin as concern that shows up in relational proximity. And all of a sudden, I'm carrying concerns about your life. I'm carrying concerns about our marriage. I'm carrying concerns about decisions that you're making. Or I'm carrying concerns about something that you said to me or what it meant. Concerns when handled with maturity and godly care seeks understanding, counsel, wisdom with a teachable spirit that leaves opportunity for resolution. You know, concern usually clings to misunderstanding 
and, and, uh, and, and, and avoiding misunderstanding and saying, I'm sure it's not what it means. Let me go clarify and seek out clarity on what that concern was because I'm seeking to see you as the Father sees you, not as my concern sees you. So when a concern is never brought to the threshing floor of a conversation with an individual or wise counsel, it evolves into speculation. So I'm no longer concerned. I'm now starting to think, hmm, maybe there's something really going on. I haven't seen a picture of that guy and his wife together uh, on social media for three or four months. I wonder what's going on in the marriage. And now I'm watching every post, not through concern, but through speculation. Oh my gosh, she just posted a meme about going through hard seasons. They're getting a divorce. She <laughs> saw like someone like nudging their spouse. Post a picture of us quick. <laughs> it evolves into speculation. Speculation starts mounting mysterious evidence and creates scenarios that may or may not exist. It's fact-finding, but from a limited vantage point. It's like standing miles away from something, but trying to figure out what it is, and you're just trying to piece two things together. You have no idea, but you're mounting evidence towards what your speculation has begun to, to form. Speculation, when never confronted never clarified, becomes an assumption. Assumption is when speculative fact-finding has proven its point in your imagination. So all of a sudden, you speculated, and all the facts have come together saying, I think we got a case. Something's going on here. And we bring those things together. An assumption, full, uh, assumption is when speculative fact-finding has proven its point in your imagination. Assumption fully believes it's right. At some point, even if you told me it was wrong, I would tell you it's right. Why? Because I have enough facts from where I'm standing that it has to be right. Assumption fully believes it's right. It's an outcome. It's a final verdict. But here's, here's the thing. This is all happening inside me. This is all happening in my imagination, in my heart, about my spouse or about my friends or about, or about this person or that person or a coworker. It's all happening internally. And guess what? I, I have an issue with you and it's been boiling over time. It started as unforgiveness and offense and concern. And then all of a sudden it began to grow in my imagination and thought, you didn't even know I was watching or building a case against you and you're going about your life just fine. Just wait for me to put words to what I have assumed now is fact. And this is where accusation comes from. Accusation never comes from a moment accusation always comes from like a season of stewarding assumption and concern without validity without clarity without counsel or influence of the holy spirit does this make sense an accusation is the vocalization of an assumption the goal of an accusation is only to be right not to heal not to restore not to reconcile, but to be right. And this is why, like, here's what, here's what will like, define like an accusation to a confrontation. Ready? An accusation wants to be right. A confrontation wants to heal. 
An accusation wants to be right. A confrontation wants to bring like righteousness and healing and wholeness. An accusation is for me. A confrontation is for us. Is this making sense? An accusation is a Trojan horse for demonic permission. I'm gonna say that again. An accusation is a, is a Trojan horse for demonic permission. I'm not saying that when you bring an accusation, you're demonized and intentionally being demonic. Ugh. No, I'm saying that when accusations are hurled at each other, the enemy has a green light to do things with it. And it might not be what you expect. It could be a landmine, touching a landmine that causes depression. It could cause people to quit the call of God on their life. It could be people that um, begin to struggle with fear and anxiety. And all of a sudden, it opens the door to influence over connections and relationships. It can warp our view of each other. And all of a sudden, the enemy isn't only operating in one place. He, it's a Trojan horse. You guys remember the Trojan horse story? Oh, it's one horse. Open the door, and there's a horde of things that the enemy wants to do inside of that thing. And it came through an accusation, but now it's spreading in your marriage like wildfire. It's making sense. But how many of you know God doesn't accuse? Demons accuse. God exposes things for the purpose of healing. Demons accuse for the purpose of belittling, discounting, and destroying, but God wants to bring things to the surface in our life to cover and to reconcile. It's actually a celebration when we begin to confront each other in the intentional pursuit of wholeness and deepening relationship. When I come to you and I go, I got issues, let's sit down and go into it. Do you guys realize the angels in heaven are roaring and cheering because they understand this is the pathway to a deeper covenantal relationship where the enemy has no room to do anything with it at all. God wants to bring things to the surface to cover and to reconcile. We're not denying or avoiding our concerns. We're bringing our concerns down a path of biblical instruction, Holy Spirit leadership that emphasizes healing and deeper connection. When we go to our spouse or we go to a friend or we go to a leader or we go to something, we're actually pursuing that connection saying, What's on the line is like my heart connection with you is on the line right now and I want to get it offline. I want to get it out of, out of the situation, out of the mode. So I'm going to fight for our connection right here, right now. And I got a concern. Let's dig into it and invite the Holy Spirit to just obliterate this thing. Because I want to run with you forever. Does this make sense? This isn't, this isn't like, let's avoid and run away and let's get away from it. Rosie, cheery, it's not happy. No, no, no. There are some bloody pathways in covenantal relationship, but they're worth it when there's a vision for connectivity. When there's no vision for connectivity because we've created relational proximity, we create relational delusions, we allow room for this stuff to grow and the enemy will wreak havoc and it's not on your relationship. It's actually on the condition of your heart and your imagination and the future relationships that will come. We all right? I'm almost done because I want to get to the good part, all right? Go with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're not denying our concerns. We're bringing our concerns down a biblical path of Holy Spirit leadership. We are submitting our thoughts to the thoughts of the Father. We're yielding our beliefs and perceptions to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
where pursuing peace and connection and guarding the integrity and the honor of the father's kids. Do you realize how much fear of the Lord there is when you recognize that that person belongs to God the Father? I remember people coming to me like, I hate church and, and all these leaders and pastors are this and that and the other. And I remember this anger rising up inside of me. And I, and I just said to the person, if you ever spoke to me, to, to me about my wife the way that you're speaking about the church, the Father's bride, I would knock you on your behind. And some of the way that we allow ourselves to talk about each other or pastors we don't know, Bible teachers we don't know, and just rip them to shreds from our relational distance from each other, do you realize how much fear of the Lord we should have? I mean, like, I am, you know, when Brian Houston was going through some of his stuff, everyone was rushing. I don't know the man, but I'll tell you what, he belongs to the Father. And no matter what took place, I do not want to be on the side of the accuser of the brethren. I want to cover his life with my words. Does this make sense? Listen, this, this isn't looking away from issues. It's guarding my tongue and being tender to the Holy Spirit. Because there's a critical accusatory spirit on a generation right now. And I don't want to partner with a, spirit, a critical spirit. I want to partner with the Father and prophesy what he sees over his kids. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. So, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have been tested that the Lord is good. As you come to him as living stone, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Unforgiveness and offense, it hardens our heart. They pervert our calling, they stunt our spiritual growth, but the work of the Holy Spirit is keeping your heart tender. Like a newborn infant, he wants to keep us tender. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants to keep you tender to your spouse. Oh, we've been married for 25 years. No, he wants to keep you tender as if it was the first day. If you wound each other after 30 years, ah, they're not leaving, they're not going anywhere. Come on. He wants to keep your heart tender. Tender to each other, to honor the Holy Spirit inside of each other. He wants to keep your hearts like newborn babes, longing for the spiritual things, constantly growing in his likeness and his expressed goodness. Ultimately, his desire is this, that if we would say tenderhearted, carry the fear of the Lord for each other, grow together, fight for each other. We're like living stones being built up as what? To a tabernacle of his presence. 
This is all the goal, friends, and this is why I wanted to end with this verse. We're talking about all these nuances and relationships and skill sets and things that we don't want to allow the enemy to foothold, don't allow bitterness or anger, 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 fighting for each other, striving for unity. Don't let accusation or assumption or relational distance come in and begin to mess things up relationally with the people around you or the leaders in your life. Don't allow the enemy to have any room to cause deception and warped perception of each other. Become a prophetic community. We're saying all of these different things all for this purpose. You ready? It's all so that we can host the presence of the Lord. The goal of unity, the goal of unity is that we'd be a tender-hearted people that hosts his presence. Like a priesthood, that what the, the incense that rises from our worship like this morning would be so pure and clean. The altar of our relationships would be so holy. We just want to host your presence, God. We just want to host your presence. You do not coexist with division. You don't coexist with offense and hurt and pain. You heal it. You restore it. You make it new. But that we would be a house, that we would be a people that would be like a tabernacle, knowing that what's on the line here His presence is on the line. What's on the line, Oakland, Maine? His presence is on the line. What's on the line in your home? His presence is on the line. We just want to host his presence. Is that all right? Okay. When we stand together.